We have been walking through Genesis this summer and through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, so we are at the end of that journey. And the scripture passage for this morning is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. This is a story that you may know as the Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people. They have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. A story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's an episode of the television series, The Office, where the intern in the office is asked to take complaints that have been recorded in the computer system and write those complaints on green index cards. When he complains to the boss, that this is a pointless task, the boss responds to him, oh, just chillax, and then the boss leaves on a long fishing trip. And so when the intern has a stack of cards of complaints, he decides to start building a tower out of those paper cards at his desk. And everyone in the office who is left behind, not on the fishing trip, decides to join in, and together they build this tower of index cards that they hope will reach the ceiling. And in an inspiring speech, the intern says to his fellow office workers, this is a tower that is built on mistakes. If you hear nothing else this morning about the Tower of Babel story, hear this. This is a tower that is built on mistakes. There's some sense that this story in the Bible is a jab at Babylon and the fools that they are. Old Testament scholar Matthew Schlem writes that the Hebrew word Babel, B-A-V-E-L, appears over 250 times in the Bible. And aside from the two times it appears in chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis, it is translated Babylon, as in the place, the empire. And Babylon was located on the plain in the land of Shinar, as is mentioned in the first few verses of chapter 11. You'll remember that Babylon is the kingdom that conquers Jerusalem and carries her people off into exile in 587 B.C., it's also home to temple towers that are called ziggurats, 
which are stepped-up, mountain-shaped structures built to be a place of communication between the earthly and the heavenly realms. A ziggurat is a giant tower made of bricks, oddly enough, in a city that is also made of brick and mortar. Here, verse 3 again from chapter 11. The people say, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone. Okay, this is a strange inclination, a strange phenomenon for an Israelite, because in Israel, the primary building material is stone. And then there's this pun or word play in the Hebrew. The word for confuse is Balel, B-A-L-E-L, and it sounds very close to Bavel, B-A-V-E-L, which gets translated meaning uh, in this passage it gets translated into Babel, but in everywhere else in the Bible, Babylon. So one could say that this is a story that's an attempt to say that the Babylonians are fools, that their city was born in confusion, and that their towers are ridiculous, and that Yahweh will not be mocked by them. And yet the Tower of Babel story is a snapshot that appears in our family album. While there may very well be some subtle and not so subtle jabs at the Babylonians, the greater warning, I believe, is for the family. It's for you and for me. This tower is built on mistakes, and they are mistakes that we are quite capable of making ourselves. I have a really tough question for you about this story. But I'm going to make it easier by giving you the clue that it's a trick question. So are you ready for the question? Here it is. In this story, can you tell me what the people say to God? Or how about the reverse? Can you tell me what God says to the people? The answer is nothing. Nothing. The people reference the heavens. And God certainly talks, but it appears that no one is listening. Terence Fretheim says that this is one of the most ominous elements of this story in Genesis chapter 11, that the people talk and God talks, but there is no dialogue. They don't talk to one another. And it pushes me to ask, do I notice what God is doing in the world? Do I stop enough and sit silently enough that I hear from God? Do I make plans and dialogue with God? Or do I just push forward running my own stuff, my own agenda? You see, we are free to build towers anywhere. You don't have to be in construction. You don't have to be a developer. You don't have to be in the business world to build these towers of mistakes as the people in Genesis 11 do. I'm afraid even good Christian people build these towers in and around the church. It's not that God is against people or projects, but when we set ourselves up as experts with the purpose of building an empire that stands as an alternative to the kingdom of God, 
we're either looking for trouble or we are about the work of fools. Another crucial mistake that is made by the tower builders is that they appear to either be distracted from or ignoring God's instruction. God's instruction to go. Be fruitful and fill the earth are the words of the creator at the end of the creation story. And in chapter 10, immediately before this story, we get a genealogy, and at the end of the list of names, we get this statement. These are the families of Noah's sons, and from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. This spreading or filling the earth is God's call to the people. It's blessed work. The resurrected Christ said to his disciples at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Go, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, God isn't against unity or working together. But when we huddle together, letting our fear get the best of us, I have to wonder if God just doesn't throw up hands and say, What's the point? You can't bless all of creation if you fail to go to all of creation. You can't bless all of creation if you fail to try something new. You see, the fact of the matter is that these tower builders, these tower builders were playing it small. It's not that they were overstepping by building too high. You see, there's some sarcasm in the story when God has to come down, way down, to get a look at the project, to see what in the world it is that they are working on. This tower is really not that tall at all. The people were understepping, not overstepping. They were pulling tightly together to build up rather than letting go of one another and reaching out. But how much reading, reaching out, how much letting go is required? Some sense of community, some sense of relationship must remain. This very story was used in the 20th century by the Dutch Reformed Church to justify apartheid in South Africa by giving priority to the scattering of people. So the document that was released by the Dutch Reformed Church cited Genesis 11, and in it they said that people are to be segregated and people are to be dispersed. Well, you can imagine that Archbishop Desmond Tutu had a response to the Dutch Reformed Church. And he said in his response that it was God's will to recognize that God's peace exists between people and in all of creation. And that it's the sin of hubris that gets in the way of the people at the Tower of Babel. And it's the sin of hubris that gets in our way. It always brings confusion, excessive pride. And I suspect that arrogance permeates this story. The longer I sit with this story, the more I see it. I didn't see it at first glance. I think it's difficult for me to see because who I am and the culture that I'm in, the culture that defines me is quite privileged. Some Jewish rabbis teach 
that the families of Noah spread across the earth, each with their own language. And so alarm bells should go off when the first line of this story begins with, now the whole earth had one language. The whole earth had one language and a common speech. Well, how in the heck did that happen? I hate to break it to you, but the setting looks an awful lot like Babylon, an oppressive empire that is seeking to take over the world. So here's my guess. My guess is that the people who were in charge of the project of the tower building insisted that their own language be prioritized, that only their own language would be spoken. And they didn't collaborate and they didn't seek to understand, and they didn't listen to the outsiders. They just insisted on assimilation, and they all spoke one language. Throughout the story of the Bible, God says, go, take the journey. And the Bible also emphasizes, listen, shema, understand. In Acts chapter 2, after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit appears on the scene to a group of Jews, Jesus' followers, who are gathered together in one place. And they all begin to speak in other tongues, other languages, not their own. And a crowd gathers around. And the crowd gathers, the Bible says, because the people could hear the wonders of God declared in their own native languages. This time, God's presence, the wind and the flame bring diversity and listening. This time, the wind and the flame bring honoring and understanding. One of my seven-year-old nephews asked my sister this week, will we all speak in the same language in heaven? Tough question. I don't know. But if pressed, I'd say, no, probably not. But I suspect we'll all understand one another. Someday, I expect to tell a story about how I spent my Sundays, <laughs> that it required of me some courage attention to what God was doing in the world and to honor God's people. But God's creative work is not just limited to the church. And so I know that you will have stories to tell as well. Stories of courage, of being attentive to what God is doing in the world and of honoring other people. There's one last thing that I want to show you about the first nine verses of Genesis 11. I think we have a slide for this. What I want to show you is the symmetry of the story. The setting of the first line of scripture in Genesis 11 is echoed in the last line. The setting is the whole earth and all the earth. The action of verses 2, 3, and 4 is echoed in verses 6, 7, and 8 with the words, come let us. The people say, come let us. 
And then the divine counsel says, come let us. And so that emphasizes verse 5, the very center part of this passage. And the very center part of this passage is that God comes down. The Lord comes. God comes. Even in the midst of our mistakes, God comes. Even in the midst of building towers, giant towers of mistakes, God comes. May we humbly listen for God in every corner of the world and in one another. Amen.